This means that the president has a case to answer for, for the robbery that took place on his farm and his then um, conduct following yeah. that. It's everywhere. Everyone feels it. And then we've got this big speech where now, you know, what do you say? The Rivers. ESCOM one was very diverse. Yeah, and sure it was. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah, from Rob Herzog <laughs> down to... <laughs> you yeah. have the top and the did the, did the panel do what it was meant to do? Yeah. Yes. Did it provide a report as we requested? Yes. Did it hand over the report to Parliament? Yes. The Caesar and Wolf Welsh Experience Podcast. Aye, aye, aye. Spread the fire. Welcome back to SMWX. And today I'm really excited to be joined by Siviwe Guahube, who is the chief whip of the Democratic Alliance in Parliament. Siviwe, thank you so much for coming on SMWX. And thank you for having me. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, ex exactly. I mean, you were on SMWX in 2019, yeah. um, communications manager. Yeah, yeah. People didn't necessarily know who you are. Now you've risen to high heights. You're the chief whip in Parliament. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. What a wild ride it is. <laughs> I, I mean, look, you know, I'm always very critical of the DA often, yeah. but I think yeah. you're one of the voices within that party yeah. that I always am interested in hearing. And I think one of the voices of reason in that party from my perspective. Mm -hmm. And so just want to affirm some of the work you're doing and Thank uh, thanks for being here. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me. Pala Pala. Mm. What is the DA in Parliament doing and uh, planning to do to hold the president accountable. The ANC had its conference. Yeah. It blue-ticked Palapala. It kind of ignored the fact that South Africans are sitting with this huge cloud hanging over the president's head. And I think a lot of people are quite frustrated yeah. um, by the fact that there, there hasn't been a moment of accountability. What What is the DA going to do to make sure that we get that reckoning? Yeah. Look, I mean, if we take a step back, I suppose, just... Um, in the last sort of few, several weeks of the past year, um, we had Parliament establish an independent panel, mm. um, commissioned by Parliament, by the way, in accordance oh, to... You could forget uh, it. The yeah, way yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I am at pains to remind people mm. all the time that, um, that, that that independent panel was commissioned by Parliament. It's so great trust to Parliament. Um, I remember asking the Secretary to Parliament, uh, you know, in terms of the cost and the like. And, I mean, we are looking at three and a half million to five million. Wow. At a cost of the work that that panel did. So it's it's not insignificant. It's not, insig it's not insignificant, firstly, from the cost perspective, mm. but it's also not insignificant from the fact that this was the very first time Parliament had ever utilised the newly adopted rules of Section 8 and 9 of the Constitution. So just for the viewers, beforehand, there is obviously, before um, a couple of years ago, Section 89 of the Constitution makes provision for an, um, an impeachment process for the president. But then there was never a set of rules for parliament to give expression to how do we really, you know, play that out? How do we really start the process of impeaching a president? And so rules were adopted and... Just again to point out, the Rules Committee is a multi-party committee. Um, and so we had, you know, this now 
scandal, really, um, involving the head of state. And I think, again, I mean, I think a lot of South Africans were taken aback because um, President Ramaphosa, I think, in the ANC has always been deemed as somehow above Mm. um, the fray, so to speak, where, you know, he came in as a reformer, um, he came in to kind of, you know, sort of bridge the gap between the extremists within the organization um, and and other people. And here it is now, um, this president who came in with a, a message of renewal, really falling into the same trap of his predecessor. And more importantly for me, more than the president, I think the behavior of the ANC in parliament was really something that shocked me, I suppose, because I suppose I still have the naivety of thinking that, um, you know, we learn from our mistakes. Um, And I would have thought that perhaps the ANC of the fifth parliament had learned its mistakes from when they behaved in a particular way during the Zuma era. Um, And here it was again. We commissioned a report as parliament, and I say we purposefully because that's exactly what we did as an institution. We commissioned uh, uh, an an investigation by this independent panel. Mm. Parliament uh, puts together an independent panel, consults various political parties. There were 17 names that were put forward. Three were chosen. 17 names from across different political parties. Um, The panel sits... And, you know, has a report. Um, And so the report says there is indeed, um, you know, evidence that suggests that the president has something to answer for. Again, for the viewers at home, I mean, what this means is that this does not mean that we are impeaching the president. This means that the president has a case to answer for, for the robbery that took place on his farm and his then um, conduct following that. And um, and so we voted on the matter because it comes to Parliament for a vote. The the, the, the panel says, mm. look, we've done. Here's your report. Can I can I just ask there, by the way, and I, and I want to continue this thread. And believe me, we're going to spend a lot of time. But you were in Parliament, and you know, many of us watched that vote on TV. Very disappointed, I have to say, you know, that the ANC did the same thing again, protecting its president when accountability was an option. What was it like actually being there? What kind of things did you see that we wouldn't have seen on TV? What was the mood in the ANC? And can you just take us behind the scenes of that historic vote to defend the president um, towards the end of last year? You know, I wish I could have a little bit more. I could perhaps have a a far deeper story for you. Mm. For me, it was just very ANC-like. Right. So here was, you know, that this report, which was now presented, you'd remember um, the former chief justice, then Sandilen Ngobo, presenting the report very publicly saying, look, we don't want to have a secret sort of handover with the speaker. This is your report. We're handing it over in public. We are now done with it. And of course, there's now great anticipation. What is the, what does the report say? Where, where to from now? And I remember reading that report that night mm. and then dropped in our emails at 10 o'clock at night. And I remember reading it and being obviously, you know, I was surprised. Um, you know why I was surprised? Yeah, me too. I was surprised because the scope of a Section 89 inquiry is very limited. It looks very much at the evidence that is before it, does not summon um, people to come and give evidence, does not really dig deeper into... 
um, you know, sort of the, the, the as an ad hoc committee would. So that's why we had initially said we would like an ad hoc committee, like we had during the Nkandla scandal, where we had an ad hoc committee which could summon government ministers, which could summon entities, which could summon really anyone. And it's got great powers, actually, which is a great pity that we don't use some of the mechanisms that are available to us in accordance to the rules in Parliament. So I was surprised by the finding of the panel because I had assumed that they would be cautious in that they would say, well, based on what we have and based on what we is available in the public domain, we can't make this determination. But they did. And many people, uh, as you know, have come out to criticize the report, <laughs> the quality of the report. Nonetheless, our role as parliament, regardless of the public view of the quality of the report, whether it was accurate, yeah. we were to look at, did the, did the panel do what it was meant to do? Yeah. Yes. Did it provide a report as we requested? Yes. Did it hand over the report to Parliament? Yes. They've met their KPIs, according to us. Now we have the report. Where to from now? The rules state now the matter goes to Parliament, to the floor of Parliament, where then parties will vote. Whether or not do we, in accordance to the recommendations in the report, vote to establish an impeachment inquiry. And... Sizwe, I think the ANC purposefully misled the public about what that vote was about. And I say this because if you look at the messaging around that week when we were about to do the voting, the ANC was doing what the ANC does best, closing ranks, saying, you know, we've got to protect our president. But it was not about protecting the president. It was about honoring a process that we had commissioned at a great cost that has public interest. So as members of parliament, yes, of course, we are members of political parties first, but ultimately for me, I feel like the oath of office that we take has to mean a lot more than a party line. And I think, you know, for what it's worth, I think that the caucus in the ANC, in the National Assembly could have gone to the ANC and said, look, the president has nothing to hide. So we're going to vote for the impeachment process to go on um, because in that inquiry, he can then lay out his evidence. He can say, this is where the, the, the independent panel went wrong. This is where, you know, I have been unfairly treated. And you can trust, I suppose, in that kind of process that it will come out in the wash um, somehow where you are yeah. and, and, and your culpability or not. And so... The ANC, in my view, purposefully misled the public about what that, that vote was about. And they treated it even internally as a vote to impeach a president, which it was never, it never was. And I remember giving a speech um, on the day and saying, this vote is not about impeaching no. a president. Yeah. This vote is about honoring a process we started. We're a separate institution from the executive. We can't be led by the nose by by the executive and essentially simply rubber stamp things that the executive wants us to do. Mm. And look, I'm particularly passionate about what parliament could be and the powers of parliament and what it really can do. Um, and so it was disappointing for me. It was disappointing just seeing the, 
you know, you mm. know. And of course, you you talk to your colleagues across the aisle and you say, okay. you know, what's the feeling? Tell, tell um, us about that because I think many people maybe don't know that. You know, like we see the actual parliamentary hearing, but then the camera is cut. You mm-hmm. know, and. Mm-hmm you're clearly all still there and you're able to have candid conversations. Well, and, um, and, you know, I often say to people that, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in, in parliament, it's hand to hand combat, but it's still very much people behind the scenes. There are people who are very petulant in their behavior Mm. and they're like, well, you're a member of the opposition. I don't need to talk to you, but Hmm. I can promise you 80% of members of parliament actually just get along just fine. Hmm. Um, and so you can have frank conversations with people from mm. different political parties and within the ANC too. And I remember days before that vote, you know, asking some of my colleagues within the ANC, like, mm. you know, what's the thinking? And it was very much about we've got to protect our president. <laughs> we are weeks before, at the time it was two weeks, before an elective conference. I mean, this is, you know, manufactured by the RET to destabilize our campaign. And it's sad for me when internal party campaigns, you know, sort of detract from the work of the institution. And so we were very much aware of how the ANC was going to vote. They were very clear. Uh, you'll recall days before Gwede um, Mantasha and a couple of people, even Pema Matrodina, coming out and saying, this is how the caucus will vote. And of course, let's not be naive. I mean, there are party lines. Um, and so I was also very surprised. I remember I was sitting... Two seats, um, you know, uh, next to NDZ. And uh, I'll never forget when she, uh, she voted for the, the adoption of the recommendations. What was, that, <laughs> what was that like being in the room and, and what kind of things did you see? Like- so it was NDZ uh, and it was Praveen. Wow. Um, and then it was John and it was myself. Mm. And, of course, you know, all the... So one of the things that we did, sorry, I forgot to mention, was to write to the speaker because, of course, now that we don't have a precinct because it was burned down, we have to do our meetings in the city hall, our our big joint physical meetings. So one of the things that we really pushed hard for was that we can't have a hybrid setting. Um, I am of the view, Sizwe, that parliament is actually poorer for a hybrid setting. Mm. I think the way in which politics is designed is meant to really, if you're going to hold your counterparts accountable, ask difficult questions, mm. um, you've got to do it like what, what we do. You ask me difficult questions, I'm a public representative, and I answer. Mm. Um, and so I, I do believe that, you know, we lose a lot of that once people are online, um, a lot of, you know, sure. for much of comic relief, South Africans have seen some members of parliament at salons, at liquor stores and the like. So people are disengaged. So one of the things that we pushed for was that this had to be a physical sitting. Mm. Number two, that um, it had a roll call vote. Now, why that's important is because in the the Hansard, which is the record of parliament, it's important that the vote is recorded individually. So when Susan Boffer-Walsh's name is called out, he needs to say, personally, how I vote. Now you're calling me to Parliament again. You know how many people keep calling me to Parliament? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) But, uh, you know, you need to say it. And 
you know, there were some of the opposition parties. Also, there's a lot of collaboration. I know from, for me in my term mm. as a mm. chief whip, I value collaboration sure. with other opposition parties. There was a lot of talk with opposition parties saying we should have a secret ballot. Our view was that, look, <laughs> you're a public representative. You know, th thousands of people voted for that seat that you occupy. The least that you could do is stand for your convictions. Let them know how you vote in matters of, that are critical. Mm. I want to know how my MP voted in a matter that will go down in history. I don't want that hidden. I don't want that hidden for your benefit. I want to know, when I read those records, I want to know how Caesar voted. Did he vote to protect an incumbent or did he vote for accountability? Mm. And so, yeah. And so then, you know, it started, which is a long process, arduous process. It's a lot better in person than it is online. Mm. And so it started and, you know, it goes by alphabetical order of political parties. And so, of course, um, the ANC being the largest party, they start with that one. And um, when Osasana Lamini Zuma's name was called out and she was the first one, it was something. Um, and I just remember being shocked and just looking at us like, did you, did you, not, did you yeah. misunderstand <laughs> the question? It happens sometimes. Mm, mm, sure. um, but she was so convicted. And so for me, say mm. what you will um, about her politics. I thought it was, which yeah. I, thought it I may was not agree with. Yeah, which I may not agree with. Absolutely. Regardless of what she stood for or not stood for. But I think in that moment, mm. she showed leadership. It's not always easy. And I think for me, because she had no idea. Maybe she did. But, it, you know, she was the first one. Like, it's not like there was a, you know, sort of kind of a cascade of other people doing it. And so it was easy. Yeah. She stood up and she said, this is how I vote. I was watching live on TV. And I don't know, you know, you never know how you're going to react to these things. And my response was to burst out in laughter. But like, it was a joyous laughter. I was like, at least someone has pierced, you know, the facade mm -hmm. and actually said something that just got lost in the debate. And, and I'm with you on that. So, so the question then is where to from here, uh, CV, right? Yeah. Where to from here with Palapala? Because there's a danger that this issue actually starts losing momentum, that President Ramaphosa, with his new mandate, ducks and dives, and that we actually never get answers. So mm -hmm. what, what are you going to be doing to make sure that it doesn't get lost? Look, I mean, a lot of people said, you know, the opposition is very much invested in this issue because, you know, of the pending... Um, elective conference of the ANC mm. at the time. But the thing is, Cesar, this is important for many reasons. Um, and I sound probably like a broken record in my very, in, even in my very own caucus. Welcome say, to the club, yeah. Um, this is precedent setting, right? Here you have a report that you commissioned as parliament. And by the way, there's a host of reports about parliamentary reform, about um, electoral reform, and I've been gathering dust in Parliament hmm. um, that were commissioned at great cost, uh, adopted, and kind of shelved. And here we are, we have this report. And of course, in fact, for me, I think it's, it's good that the, the drama of the sort of 
the ANC elective Congress has kind of just gone past. Because for us, at least in the DA, it was never about engineering the outcome of that conference. The, the, the pursuing the matter was not about weakening the president and, because we're not interested in ANC political machinations in that way. Um, but ours is about accountability. And there shouldn't be one set of rules, says we're for the rest of us, uh, perhaps a pre previous uh, president um, and another president, right? Um, there is reason to believe that laws were broken on the president's farm. And three things for me stand out. One, the issues around the amount of money which was on his uh, property in foreign currency. There are laws pertaining to that. Number two, there are allegations that people were tortured, that the Presidential Protection Unit started to do um, sort of rogue investigations, went across the country. Um, into, that's not their job. The Presidential Protection Unit is to protect the president. That's the role of the SAPs. In fact, if you'll recall, a, couple, a month or two or a couple of months ago, we asked the president of parliament, what did you do when you realized there was a theft on your farm? And he said, I informed the head of my presidential protection unit. And that, for me, is an admission that he knows he was wrong. Caesar, when somebody breaks into your house, yes, you're not the president, sure. But when somebody breaks into your house, each one of us, each and every one of us know what to do. You consult the police. And the president is not exempt from that. So I can't hear us say, which laws I think were broken and where, but there's definitely a case to answer for. And there's a very real possibility that the president may have contravened sections of the constitution or may have broken laws, in which case it does present a case for him to be impeached. So wait till from now. Well, we're not going to let the matter go because, of course, even some, some amongst the opposition were probably more interested in the matter because of its political sort of, I don't know, uh, value at the time. Um, but for us, it's, it's, it's a lot more than that. Because if we allow this to go, then there's exceptionalism. Then, you know, it depends who you are. And then, you know, and, and, and at times the DA has been accused of being soft on, on, on President mm. Ramaphosa. People saying, Even by well, the host of this channel. Hmm? Even by the host of this I, channel. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we've but been, have you been soft? Because, because I think... And, and I hear you, and I'm glad you say you're not going to let it go. Mm. But was there a honeymoon period with President Ramaphosa where you wanted to give him time? Did you strategically calculate that, no, this is the part of the NC we need to support? Because it feels like, I think, actually, many opposition parties, even the EFF, President Ramaphosa was easily able to speak, deliver his sona, um, a privilege not afforded to his predecessor. And it felt like the president could just do anything for a while and no one would, would dare hold him accountable. Um, so have you been too soft? Are you recalculating now? Look, I've, I take the criticism. And I think, look, I mean, you know, um, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? right? Um, because when President Ramaphosa came in, you know, we'd just come from this disastrous period in our time, in our country, right? So he comes in and he says all the right things and I'll never, I'll never forget 
Um, his first sona, I wasn't an MP at the time. His first sona, he starts, you know, saying, Tumamina. I mean, you would have been, you know, a little bit odd in the country to be like, mm, I'm a little skeptical of this guy. Can I also just say, <laughs> I was, and it was a very lonely experience. I can imagine. Like, very lonely. <laughs> no, everybody yeah. was taken. Everybody was like, oh, oh my God. Oh, you know, yeah. it was, Goodness. the president would take a walk and, and it would be like a national story. He took yeah. a walk today. The, yeah. the country's going to change because the walk happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the walk on the promenade. <laughs> Ketonians will lose their minds. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mr. President, make my dog. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> from, from, from dogs to buffaloes. I, I mean, right? Um, so look, I think it. It we definitely, and I would not say that we were soft in the president, but I definitely think mm. we've got to also be careful as opposition parties to not be oppositional just for the sake of it. And sometimes there is room to say, we are prepared to work with you and give you a chance. And I'll, I'll make an example quickly. During the COVID pandemic, I was a health spokesperson for the DA at the time. And my counterpart at the time was Dr. Zulim Kize, right? And I mean, now you can't say anything about Dr. Zulim Kize now without there being opposition. But there was a time when he was a person of the year mm. in a certain publication that I won't mention. But... The country agreed with it, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I was one of the people who said, give the government a chance. <laughs> this is one of those things where we cannot play politics on. It's a pandemic. It's deadly. Let's rally behind government. And then there was a point where you couldn't anymore. And I think the same can be said about the president. A lot of people were like, well, look, let's give him a chance. Perhaps he is going to renew the ANC. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think otherwise you you are just cynical um, and you're of the view that nothing can change. And perhaps it's, it's my own flaw that I, I still believe that people can affect some kind of good. Mm. And maybe I need to reflect on that. Um, but nonetheless, I think, yeah, I think as an organization, we definitely gave the president a chance. And then until it was very clear that he was completely hamstrung by the infrastructure around him. And that's why it can't change. That's why he can't change, even with a renewed mandate. Even there are still very few people who are like the people playing the violin. <laughs> there are still very few people who are saying, he's got a renewed mandate. Allow him. He's going to do things differently this time. No. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just to round off on, on this, I think to continue to ask the question of now what? Um, and then, you know, so I want to get onto other questions about your parliamentary agenda and also the way that uh, the crisis, the national electricity crisis can be addressed. But, yeah, I guess the question is, is it a motion of no confidence? Is it the ad hoc committee that you want to pursue? Uh, is it a question of challenging the, the decision of the speaker not to allow, well, you, want, you didn't want a secret ballot, but... Um, is there any irregularity there? Um, yeah, so I guess we have a year coming up um, and I'm just curious as to what you're thinking strategically. Yeah. yeah. So first, I mean, the speaker um, rejected our um, bid for 
an ad hoc committee on the basis that there was a Section 89 committee coming down the tracks. Mm-hmm. So that's no longer a thing. It's now been disposed of. Yeah. Um, and so there's an opportunity there. Because mm-hmm. we have been of the view, and I still am, that an ad hoc committee has a lot more powers and has a lot more scope. Because remember, Sizwe, this is not just about the president, right? I'm not of the view that the president was personally stuffing cash in his couch um, and was the one, you know, sending instructions for people to go across the border to do covert operations. There's a whole network of people, including government ministers, including state institutions, and those need to be investigated. And this is exactly why we asked for the ad hoc committee, because we understood and knew that the Section 89 inquiry would be very narrow in its investigation. It would look at just the president's conduct and just that. And our view is that this is a lot, this is a network. There are questions to be answered by ministers as a god. Um, there are questions to be answered by Minister Ronald Lamula. There are questions that must be answered by the SAPs um, under which the Presidential Protection Unit falls. There are so many questions that need to be answered that have not been answered and would not have been answered even if, say, the ANC had voted for an impeachment inquiry. It would have really looked at the culpability of the president and that's that. And our view is that there's a, there's a bigger scope. So we're definitely going to be pursuing the ad hoc committee again on the basis that you rejected this, on the basis that there would be, an, there'd be a Section 89 inquiry. It's no longer there. On what basis can you now? Because the matter has not been ventilated. Mm. Um, and so that's what one of the big things that we are going to be doing. Um, and of course, there's, there's, there's other um, things that which, you know, we want to see the parliamentary rules um, amended to see a greater accountability. Mm. And so, you know, you'll recall when we had a, a question and answer session with the president and opposite parties asked him point blank, about Palapala, the, the speaker stood up and basically, in an unprecedented fashion, participated in a debate to protect the president. I mean, these some of these things are wild. They're, it's just like, it's a film. <laughs> so, um, so um, yeah. Um, so, we, it's, it's not something that we're going to let go of because, again, for us, it was not the political value of the, the yeah. conference. It, it's, it's about accountability and setting the president. So, one of the things is very much first out the blocks is, is requesting the ad hoc committee mm. to be mm. established. And the speaker is going to have a very hard time rejecting it because I'm not sure on what basis mm. she can do so. Yeah. Hey fam, just jumping in to remind you that this episode is brought to you by the Mail and Guardian. If you love what we're doing here at SMWX and you want to make sure that we keep producing regular content and are able to build and fund and grow this channel, show some love to the Mail and Guardian who have brought this channel uh, into a new place and given us the support to keep making this content for you. Absolutely, and it'll be interesting to see how the state of the nation unfolds because this is going to be a very different state of the nation address. Let's contrast this to to the previous one, and not just necessarily with the president, but for the ANC. This is is a moment in the country where I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen such levels of dejection and disappointment with just crumbling, you know, crumbling services. Um... Yesterday, I didn't have electricity for 10 hours and I didn't have water for the whole day. And I was just like, 
you know, and and I mean, South Africans, the length and breadth of this country are experiencing far worse than than what I would ever have experienced. It's everywhere. Everyone feels it. And then we've got this big speech where now, you know, what do you say? Mm-hmm. But I guess my question is, how, how, how do we as a country, which includes the opposition, say that it can't be business as usual and it can't be this big pageant where, mm-hmm. like, you get to just talk and nobody actually talks back? Uh, and so, yeah, how do we make this sona? Um, or do you have any plans to make the sona a little less comfortable for those who are governing the country? Yeah, it, it's 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 a it's a difficult one. And now, just to let you in and the viewers a little bit, mm. there's been conversations within our organization about: Do we attend sona? Mm. Is it something that we should, you know, have be present for? Because we know it's going to be the same empty promises. We know it's going to be you know, it's going to be so detached from really the reality of what people are facing. But at the same time, there's also, particularly for me, as somebody who um, who respects the institution, there's a part of me that says we've got to honor the event. But at the same time, you're right. It can't just be business as usual. So the caucus that I lead will not be participating in any red carpet glitz and glamour. Um, we are arriving to work. Um, and it may seem like a small thing, but I think for me it's symbolic. Because before, Parliament, you know, the sona was about, you know, who you're wearing, ballroom gowns. There's absolutely no way I can lead a caucus that can walk down a red carpet showcasing designer grounds when South Africans don't have water or electricity, 50% of whom are poor. Seven out of 10 young people don't have work. It is not the time. It is not the mood. And so, yes, we will attend. And there was a big feeling that, you know, should we even honor the invitation by the speaker and the president? We will attend um, as a way of respecting the institution and as a way of respecting the office of the president. Um, But we certainly have plans to respond to the president. Because, of course, the other issue is that, you know, the argument can be, if you don't attend, can you really, you know, participate in the response, in the debate the next week? Because, you know, did you, you know, um, have anything to contribute? But um, we will attend, but we are not participating in any of the, you know, the show, the glitz, I think that it would be so out of step with the mood of the country. Mm. Um, and we'll listen to what the president has to say. But I, again, I'm not a cynical person. But there's nothing the president is going to say unless he's going to announce some wholesale changes to his cabinet, unless he's going to announce some real reforms, that he will announce this time and not walk back days later like he did the last time, like he did the last year, where he stands um, on his convictions, on what needs to be done. Um, I doubt that's going to happen. Um, and there's a lot, a lot of people who have faith in the president about his renewed mandate. The reality is that the president has, for me, failed to demonstrate leadership, the kind of leadership that may be unpopular internally, but that's needed. And also the president, for me, it's never been about the mandate. 
don't know if he has what it would take to turn the institution around, the organization around, the organization being the ANC. And maybe it doesn't, maybe it's not going to take one person. I don't know. That's a question they must answer themselves. Well, let's come to the DA for a bit. And we have had a long ongoing series of conversations on this channel about the 2024 election. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a major moment for our country. And particularly among young voters and young people, there's an urgency about change. There's not agreement necessarily on the direction of that change. Um, some people may think it's the DA, some people may think it's Action SA, some people may think it's the EFF, and some people may think it's, it's neither of those options. But once again, assuming that the ANC, in the scenario where it, it can't govern or it can't break off the good party, which seems to be its, its new best friend, <laughs> um, and, and create a, a partnership. Brett and Patricia. Yeah, well, they, they, <laughs> they seem to be, I think that could be a coalition. Judging by what they're doing on Palapala, I don't know what they're doing on Palapala. Like, they don't know what they're doing on Palapala. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I saw small opposition parties defending that, yeah. I, but, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we yeah, need yeah, to... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the DA could very conceivably lead an opposition coalition which governs the country. Right? But then the question is, is John the right person to lead South Africa? Hmm. And that's the question I put to you. you know, should, can South Africans have that confidence that you know, John is the right person? Or is it, I know you're going to your Congress, but I think there is this problem where people are like, okay, we don't want the ANC, but can we really give it to um, a grouping within the DA where the DA at the moment seems to be in a particularly, um, in, a, in a particular moment, which is maybe against, more against than it's ever been uh, the, the traditional transformation agenda. Yeah. Um, the symbolism of a white man. And, and, and again, sometimes in the comments, people say, how can you say that? But it's symbolically important in a country mm. like South Africa. Mm. Um, so how do you respond to that, that conundrum that, that I'm putting to you? Look, um, I think, firstly, you are right. I think South Africa needs to prepare themselves for a potentially post-ANC South Africa. Personally, I would be very excited about that. And I think whichever way you slice it, I think the DA will definitely be an anchor tenant in whatever sort of formulation yeah. that coalition um, takes a form in. And of course, you know, John Stenison was elected by 80% of Congress, 2,500 delegates. And so definitely within the DA, he in the last Congress has the mandate to lead. And so... We go to Congress, and even if he's re-elected, I don't know who is running, we will run against. Mm. Even if he is re-elected mm. in 2023, I would hope that in 2024... Even if he runs against Sivio Kwakube, for example. Or, <laughs> uh, just throwing names out. <laughs> uh, 
Sure, fair enough. I mean, it, it depends. I mean, now I, I can only really make that, you know, I, I'm not a betting woman, but if I was... If the branches... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to... I'll only stand up if the branches mm, yeah, say... Yeah. No, 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 no. The branches mustn't say. <laughs> I've got my hands full. Mm. But, um, but, but, you know, so mm. um, the nominations have been opened and they'll open and, and, and then so we'll yeah. be able to see and... Mm. A normal delegate like myself will be able to choose based on the offering of the candidate. So, but to your question about a coalition government in 2024, mm. I think it's an important one, right? Yeah. Um, because I do think that there's a possibility. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at, I read a Business Day article just the other day about the polling of the ANC and even our own internal polling, telling us about how the ANC is consistently, which is rare, right? We've done polling before. Um, and polling is always a snapshot of a particular time in a period. But when it's consistent, it starts to show you a, a trend. And there's been a trend where the ANC is really dipping below 50%. So there has to be a way in which we start thinking about a post-ANC world. And I don't think that we can do that without factoring in the Democratic Alliance as an, as an organization. Whether the question is, can John Stanison lead the country? Well, it's going to depend on, it would be very premature of us. And I think we've got to be very careful. And I'd hope that my other party leaders are as careful as I am in answering this, because it would be careless to be presumptuous about what that coalition government would look like. Because I think we definitely, as opposition parties, mm. we've got to go out there. We've got to get all our chips yeah. and bring them to the table. And we've got to discuss what's going to be best for the country. And yeah, you may ask me the question, but you know, symbolically, do you think that a white man can lead the country? Look, there's a lot of hurt that is undealt with in South Africa. And that hurt is not just a symbolic thing. Mm. It's very much a lived reality thing. People in South Africa are very much still living along racial lines in a very different way. And the inequality gets deeper and deeper. And often things like somebody's skin color can be something that people use as sort of a symbolic, something that is symbolic of the inequality. So I don't think it's insignificant, right, that, that our leader is white. But I also think that we're doing something that no political party in South Africa is doing, that we try and sometimes not getting it right, being the only party in South Africa that is diverse, racially so, that is diverse in terms of gender, that is diverse in terms of religion, sexual orientation and the like. And I challenge you to show me any other political party that's trying to do it. It's not easy, particularly in a country like ours with a painful history like ours. But on your question on whether or not would we feel John Stenazen yeah. as a presidential candidate, it would be premature and careless to say that's how the negotiations would go. Mm. We would have to see how, you know, who brings what to the table. Yeah. Um, so I try to answer two of those questions no, about I'm the symbolism answer. of having a white leader and mm. whether or not that persuades certain people from voting or not voting for the party. Yeah. I genuinely hope that South Africans can get to the point where we can realize that there's a very real correlation between how you vote and how you live. Yeah. 
And I really hope that we can, and one of the things that I think the DA has that other opposition doesn't have is perhaps a record in government. So, uh, yeah, so y you challenged me to find a diverse party, right? And I hear you, I hear you on the, the, the John question. You're, there's actually another interesting scenario I want to put to you after this. But let's, let's dive into this, you know, this question of diversity, because it's the question when it comes to the DA, in case you haven't, you haven't <laughs> <heard>. <laughs> And I think... I get asked this a lot. So. <laughs> yeah, it's like your job. But, but I think it's also important, kind of across political persuasions, I'm not a member of any political party, but I have political views. And I am critical of the DA and its... And, and its you know, inability to appreciate um, the, the racial inequality and to speak it more um, explicitly. Yeah. I've heard you do it, and, and, and I suspect you're quite brave in the way that you are doing it because I'm sure there are people internally who are like, CVW needs to rein in all this talk about race and inequality. Um, and that's why I respect what you're doing. But on this diversity thing, I've heard your leaders always say this thing about we're diverse and we're diverse, right? Mm. And I always think, you know, ShopRite has a lot of black customers. And the DA, sure, has a lot of black voters and, yes, a lot of black members. But the people at the top of ShopRite are suddenly not as diverse. So the higher and higher you go, the less and less diverse things become. Mm. Um, let alone investors and funders and all of that, right? So I think sometimes the question of diversity kind of elides that, is it diverse where power lies? Because it's all well and good to be diverse, you know, mm. at a march. But are you really diverse? The ESCOM march was very diverse. Yeah, and sure, it was. <laughs> oh, my goodness, yeah, from Rob Herzog down to... <laughs> You yeah. have the top and Fair the bottom, eh? <laughs> <Jesus. Jesus. laughs> so, so I think that diversity point is, yes, you are di you, you're more diverse than other parties, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that, that you are um, diverse where it matters. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, the key test mm -hmm. for diversity. Mm -hmm. I, you didn't pose a question. Uh, but <laughs> you, posed, I, you posed a challenge. <laughs> I know, I know. And and I love that question. That wasn't a question. Um, I love it because it's important, mm. right? Because I do a lot of um, personal work, um, private work on developing leadership, particularly um, leaders, political, women political leaders on the African continent. Mm. It's mm. a big passion mm. of mine changing the face of leadership on the African continent, right? So the reason why I reference that is because I think it's very important. Because I often, in some of these courses that we talk about, talk about where does power really lie? Mm -hmm. And where is it important? We can talk about 50% representation, but does it really matter? Yeah, yeah. You know, are those the people who are making the decisions? Mm -hmm. And I think you are absolutely right in that power lies in political leadership. And Sizwe, I would you know, firstly, pay tribute to the women and men in the DA who have, long before I came along, people like 
or James Masango, people like Ojo Sarmane, uh, people like Omagashulekana, mm. who may not be in the day now, people yeah. like Ombalinduri, Olinde, Masibugo, people who came before, long before mm. I came, and who were saying, we're breaking the barriers and yeah. your notion of what a political party ought to look like and mm. you're coming here and you're challenging the status quo. Mm. It didn't always end well for some of them, right? Um, some of them left politics. Um, but first of all, I think, so I want to honor people who have done that, who have pushed the boundaries. Because I don't think that organizations are ever going to change unless people decide to change them. Yeah. And I, unless people who are convicted in what they believe in change them. Um, I think we can do a lot more. I think we can do a lot more in finding, um, not finding, I really want to reverse that word. I think we can do a lot more in inspiring Mm. younger, energetic people to run for top leadership positions. Sure. Because that becomes, for me, the issue. It's not whether or not can you dress it, the leadership picture. Mm. The question is whether or not are you inspiring enough for the people who are youth leaders in Bomalanga, the Daso leader, William um, Jacobs and Twane, um, or Nicholas Nyati, are you inspiring them to say, I want to put my hand up, I want to be on the FedEx? Mm. And I think we've got to do more to do that. Because I don't believe, similarly to how my party doesn't believe in quotas, I don't think they achieve much. But I think where the real test is that you've got to, as leadership in the organization, cultivate a culture that says to people, I want to lead this thing one day. Mm. No, for sure. We've got to yeah. do that. And I, and I appreciate that. And I, and I also think there's a little bit of unfairness. And yes, maybe I engage in it in that the black leaders in the DA always ask this question. And they always have to explain. But it's like, well, those are the people who are trying to rise up the ranks. We should be putting this to white leaders in the DA too to be like, are you cultivating the culture? Are you doing it? Why, why do you feel comfortable, you know, with this setup? Uh, and credit yeah. to John. And, sure, and sure. credit to John, um, which, you know, I've, so I've served under his leadership for the past mm. three years as spokesperson and now as a chief whip. And credit to John. I think he, and he gets a lot of flack in South Africa. Mm, mm. Um, but credit to him, because as somebody who has worked with him for the past three years, yeah. one, he's very much well aware of his shortcomings and his shortcomings in terms of his worldview and where he is as a white man in South Africa. And I can appreciate that. I can appreciate the honesty of you being like, I am a white man in South Africa and therefore I come from a particular background. There are things I may not know about you, about where you come from. Sevilla, you grew up in the rural Eastern Cape. There are things you could teach me. I want those people around my leadership circle. I may have been elected as one man to lead, but I want the people around me to be diverse enough to show me where my shortcomings are. And that I can give him credit for. Sure. But it doesn't end with him. Mm. As leaders, and I include myself, we've got to create a culture within our organization to inspire young people, black people, women. Absolutely. To want to run for political leadership. Mm. It is so toxic in politics <laughs> that we repel people from wanting to be part of politics. 
and we've got to do better. And, and I love that you do bring that up because, of course, the question of um, diversity is often given a racial lens alone in South African politics. But you, you rightly bring up the question of the systemic marginalization of women, of black women from the political space. And talk, talk us through that, not just in the DA, because that's, that's a party-wide, South African politics-wide crisis. Um, that that we have. So Jacinda Arden the mm. other day um, gave a talk in which she announced that she was going to be stepping down, and um, you know, and you know, regardless of what you make of her politics, but she's one of the people who were who are great inspirational Absolutely. leaders, women um, who are leaders first. Let's get that right. Who are leaders? Who happens to be a woman mm. um, in the world, in the global landscape? And man, I was so inspired mm. by her talk when she was like, "I'm not running for office again because I know what it takes to do this job, and I just don't have it anymore." And first of all, I was like, ooh, candle, 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 candle. <laughs> 11, 11. Can you please show your African counterparts how to do the same? <laughs> please. So, please. <laughs> um, Can we just repeat the speech every day? <laughs> please. <laughs> just maybe it will get through just on the continent. You know, no specific. Just, just yeah, you just. know. Um, so, but, you know, she's inspiring but what it then did it, it sent me through a rabbit hole I've always just followed her work but it sent me through this rabbit hole of like this really like some of the sexist most disgusting at like you know treatments she's received over a mm. office mm. and I just thought to myself Jesus I mean why would anyone who has a thriving career who is a smart young vibrant woman who can do whatever, say, uh, I'll put up my hand, I'll run for public office so people can ridicule me. Hmm. They can say, your dress is too short, your hair looks ugly, your makeup is... And not engage in the content of what I have to offer. And so that's the one, and I think it's just a global phenomenon. I mean, here's something, not even on our continent, just across in New Zealand somewhere, and she's still experiencing... The same kind of misogyny hmm. Lindy Wemazibogo was subjected to hmm. back in 2012, 2013, when people were saying, your skirts are too short. I mean, hmm. do you know what I mean? So it made me sad because I was just like, well, is it even changing? Hmm. Um, but I think we have a particular challenge in South Africa. So I was just giving a sort of a global sense of being, you know, there's just so much yeah. that faces that are a hindrance to women entering public life in particular. Um, why choose that for yourself when you can do so many other things? Um, but I think we, we almost have an obligation to. Because mm. I think the more of us pick up our hands, the more we're going to change the culture within our organizations, the more we're going to say, mm, you know, this policy of, I don't know, uh, undoing the spatial apartheid infrastructure does not take into consideration the fact that, you know, many of these households are black women-led. They bear the brunt of 
poverty in South Africa, how do you make it safer for them to get to work at 4 a.m. in the morning? Mm-hmm. You're not going to have that kind of conversation unless we are around the table. And that's why I'm saying to you that we've got to inspire. And I take it personally mm-hmm. where I want to mentor. I was mentored by amazing women who came before me, um, who still mentor me to this day, who are in various fields, uh, whether in politics or not, and I want to just, I want to create a DA that is attractive to people to say, regardless of where politically I came from, I, I feel like this is a movement I can be part of that can at least shift South Africa in the right direction. Um, and I think that as women, unfortunately, we, it is incumbent on us as women who are in public life to change the culture that is so toxic to make it attractive enough to people to say, please come, join. Um, you look at the ANC. I mean, they've been having this conversation for a very long time. In fact, the speaker at Dr. Genwala's uh, memorial service this week talked about how, you know, they've achieved 50-50% um, representation. And the question is exactly what you asked me. Where does the power lie? Absolutely. They may be half women in that caucus, but do they possess the power to contest political leadership Do they contest the power to be leaders one day? Mm. And I think before you can start bean counting, for me, I feel like I would want to be part of the women in the DA who say to women in the DA that it is firstly desirable to come and join the ranks and contest real political power, not on the fringes of a women's desk, not to say I, I, I criticize Women's League or the word DA Women's Network, but it's often a useful distraction for women and young people to say, you're the youth leader. You're the leader of the women's network or the women's desk. Contest real political power, lead organizations. And I think we've got a long way to go as a party too, as a country as well, as a continent more so. Thank you for joining us on SMWX. Who knows where you'll be the next time you come on the show. <laughs> so when you're in union buildings, we're going to get an interview, right? So, I mean, we, we were there when you were like, uh, communication. You know, we've been part of the journey. <laughs> now, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on the show again. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for having me. And all the best for the rest of the year. Aye. The Seaswear Mbofu Welsh Experience Podcast. Aye, 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 aye.